Let's prepare to read God's Word. If you'd open your Bibles to chapter 6 of Matthew, I'm sorry, to Matthew chapter 6. I'm doing fine today. We'll be reading uh, some more from the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you actually ask him. Let's pray together, if you would. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you, we thank you, and we ask you for a perspective on life and the works as Jesus had asked of us to do things not to be seen, but because you wish them done. We wish to rely on the treasures in heaven rather than praise from our fellow men to act as Pastor John DeYoung once said, God with skin on. Give us ears and hearts ready to accept the message Pastor Mike presents to us. Bless our veterans and those who have gone before us, and most of all, we give thanks for the blessings we have already received. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. You can be seated. Welcome. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, fall is here, right? Thank God for that. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to have some pretty cold weather, I hear, uh, which is welcoming for me. I can always get warm, but I can never get totally cool, right? But uh, yeah, thank you guys for uh, all the efforts that you put in to honor our veterans today. I was taken back by the words of uh, the, the last song in Cornerstone. And uh, when it talks about going through storms, uh, that, means a, that can mean a whole lot of different things, especially when you're considering uh, the soldiers that uh, have gone before us and, and the military that have gone before us. It just takes on a whole new meaning. Uh, working with veterans and working with law enforcement, uh, they get to see and they, have, they, they see things that we never could even imagine. And so I just pray that you will uh, ask God to be with those. He promises to save those who are crushed in spirit. And so um, I, I pray that, uh, that Jesus will be our cornerstone, that if that's you this morning, that, that the, the gospel of grace, the gospel of God's goodness, the gospel of his return, the gospel of making all things new and all things right will comfort you this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, I take it back. I remember Wim said that he was in a prison war camp and all he prayed was just God help me. <laughs> God help me. And God and, and that was his testimony that God was with him and that's how he got through it. And so we, we were grateful that God uh, for God's presence even in the here and now that he is able to to save those who are in those situations. 
And so thank you guys for serving. I love you guys so much. Uh, many of you know my heart. So I hope uh, you're blessed and that the gospel is true for you this morning and that it's comforting for you. So we have been sharing each week uh, that about Jesus, about what he said in Mark chapter 1. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That his coming, when he declared this, he was declaring that there was a kingdom shift, that there was something coming. There, he was inaugurating his kingdom that was coming into the world. And he's calling all of us to get on board with that, to repent and believe the gospel, to be part of that. Uh, so we've been talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for the last several weeks, and, and he is preaching this message to his people, his kingdom people, and he's asking, get on board with what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, he wraps up his sermon with this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus's words. They have been founded on his mission, his gospel, his words. And he says the opposite is true and, uh, for those who do not build his house on his words. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell. And listen to this. And great was the fall of it. You see, our lives are made up of many moments, some big, some small, some significant, some insignificant, never really neutral. There's never really a neutral uh, ground for the moments that happen in our life. These are moments where our life, the Bible would call these kairos moments. I've been talking to you about this each and every week. It's when our lives and God's word intersect. And that we have this opportunity, if you will, to, to not let it pass by, but actually ask God, what is he saying in these moments and what am I to do about it? So each Sunday, what we try to do is we know that we're going, we are very much of a foundational Bible, foundational church where we are bringing the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We're bringing the word of God to our family each and every Sunday. And, we're, and, and, and so this is a place, Sunday mornings become a Kairos moment where your life and God's word intersect. And so the idea is this, is like, what, do you, what, what is God saying to you in this moment? Maybe it's not for a Kairos moment right this second, but it will be uh, sometime. Maybe it's a seed that God wants to plant in your heart that you'll know about it, that he'll bring light to you in the future. So what is God saying to you right now in this moment? And then what are you going to do about it? What is your response to it? Because we are to repent and believe the gospel. We are to get into his mission. We are to get into building his kingdom. And so God would call us to do that. As we have studied uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the last couple weeks have been in Matthew chapter 5. We've seen Jesus point out those who held to the letter of the law but neglected the spirit of the law, right? They were saying, hey, uh, you know, you heard it said, Jesus would say, you've heard it said of old that you shall not murder. But I say to you, right? And so he brings more of the spirit of the law, more clarity around the law. He says, but I say to you, if you have anger for your brother, you've, you are guilty of the same thing. And he says, he says, you've heard it said of old that you should not commit adultery. But if you've looked upon a woman in lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And so he's bringing more to the law because these religious do-gooders would, would live by the letter of the law, 
thinking that they're actually satisfying God, that they're doing God's will, that they are in God's good graces, if you will. And Jesus says, no, your heart is so much more deceitful than you think you are. And you're not as good as you think you are. But God is more gracious and more loving than you will ever know because he forgives not people just who, who stay to the letter of the law, but those who recognize that their heart is stained with sin and the spirit of the law opens up this whole idea of who you really are in, in light of who God, God's holiness and how much you really need a savior and a, and a God of grace to come. He says this, he says, and he starts to, he continues here in, in chapter six to press this point. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Now, in chapter 5, Jesus, is, Jesus teaches us about this righteousness, this right righteousness that we're to have. It's a righteousness that has to exceed these legalistic do-gooders, if you will. And, and, he, and he says, it's a righteousness that puts on love. It puts on humility. It's a, it's a righteousness that understands who they are in light of who God is. And it's a righteousness that knows that they need a Savior. And it's a righteousness that is tenderized by this beautiful gospel of grace that sees themselves as now an opportunity to be a people who spread God's love and not highlighting themselves, taking the spotlight off themselves and putting it upon Jesus. And that we need to be a people that love unconditionally like Christ loved us. A people that who were willing to go the second mile, that's what we learned last week, the second mile to show the love and the impact that Jesus has had upon our hearts, right? And so we are called to be these second mile Christians that make an impact in our community with the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus, the same love and grace that he gave us. He gave us something that we don't deserve. And, he's, and then Jesus now is calling us to give people what they don't deserve by going the extra mile. Pastor Dave a few weeks ago taught us about uh, when Jesus calls us to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, our faith in Jesus is made most visible by our good works. This is what he's saying. Our good works are actions that God has commanded us to do that he uses to show the world that our faith is real. We're saying that we believe in an unconditional loving God and yet is our love for people unconditional? We are saying that we believe in a God of grace who gives us things that we don't deserve. Are we then giving people in our community what they don't deserve in light of what we have been given through Christ? Our people is saying, or God is saying that we are people that have God's mercy poured out upon us every single day. And so are we people who are merciful, showing mercy to people who are poor and hurting? Is our light shining before men? Because, and because, <laughs> this is a note that I wrote, uh, and because we can mess that up too, because we can mess that up too, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness to be seen by others. Beware of, of, of making your good works about you. About you. And so write this down in your sermon notes. If you're taking your notes, it's in your bulletin. This is what I wrote here. A principle It says, God wants people to see your good works, but the light that others need, will notice needs to point in the right direction. Not on yourselves, but on your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And, now, and then he moves to give us a couple examples. Look at verse 2. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that, you are, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. All throughout scripture, God calls his people to care for those who are in need, to care for the poor and the needy. Jesus models this in his own earthly ministry, doesn't he? He goes out of his way to make sure that people's needs are cared for, their physical needs and their spiritual needs. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus embodies this, uh, uh, this, this generosity in his own being. Listen to what he says. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, say me, by his poverty may be rich. You see, God promises in his word that he will bless us so that, so that we can be a blessing to others, so that we can be a blessing to the poor, so that there may not be any more, any poor among us. Can you believe that? In Deuteronomy, God says, that, God says exactly that. You don't have this up there in the screen. I added it this morning. He says, but there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you, us, in the land of, that the Lord, your God, is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you, me, us, will strictly obey the voice of, our God, of your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I have commanded you today. He's saying, I'm going to give you everything you need to, to do everything I've called you to do. Your, your responsibility is now to obey the commands that I've done it. That, I, that I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take care of the poor. I'm gonna give you everything you need. We have everything we need in Counter Church to take care of everybody that God is calling us to care for in our community. The question is, are you gonna be obedient to the call to care for the poor yourself? Are we gonna move in the direction of, of being a generous people and, and give that, that there will be no poor among us? Can you imagine that? That there is no poor among us because God's people are, is, are being obedient to the call to give generously so that there will never be poor people among us. Wouldn't that be a beautiful picture of the gospel of like God's kingdom coming that there is no spiritually or materially poor among us? What motivates us to give? What motivates us to give this morning? I believe that most people's motivations are actually closer, oddly enough, to what Jesus is saying right here in this sermon. That people give in order to get a reward. That people were giving, it, it, Jesus is warning us of, of people giving to get. But they're, they're wanting to give, a, uh, uh, to get a reward, not from God, but from others. The reward can be something tangible, like a nice plaque to hang up on the wall with your name on it. Thank you for giving, right? It could be uh, uh, your name on the wing of a hospital or something. You're, you know, thank you for donating all this money to the hospital. That's probably not any of us. I don't know that we've got millions and millions of dollars to be, to be giving to hospitals. But what about this? Simple. Give because I'm going to get a tax return. Right? Don't we do that in the Christian faith? We're like, hey, if you give, it's a tax deductible gift. Like, oh, now I'm convinced I should give. Oh, okay, good. Boy, that just does my heart good, right? But, but, but we do. We tend to give. We are people that, that has, has attachments to our giving. 
that we give because we want something out of it. We give because we desire some type of reward. We do this, but we don't do this to gain God's reward typically. We do this to gain some tangible reward on this side of heaven, and that motivates our giving. So Jesus says, hey, look, listen, I want to warn you about about giving to get. So he says, don't blow your horn. That is, don't don't give in order to get noticed. Don't don't give in order to get praise. Don't give, give in order to get love. Don't give in order to appease your guilty conscience because you need some soothing. Don't give for whatever motive you are seeking this side of heaven. Rather, give out of a heart that has been tenderized by the generosity of God. Because God has poured out so much upon us and he promises to give us everything we need. But we have set our priorities up differently, haven't we? We are to give out of the generosity of, uh, out of a heart that has been tenderized by the generosity of God. Jesus says this, you don't have this up here either. I was busy this morning, praise the Lord. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your lap. For the measure for you use, it will be measured back to you. I heard it said once that uh, uh, when we're talking about being generous to others, like when you clean out your closets, when you clean out your house every year, we try, we, we did the, we, we gave a lot of stuff away in the move, right? We, got, we gave a lot of good stuff away too. So I'm, I'm counting on God pressed down, shaking together and, and flowing. Up. But listen, the idea is, is your, sorry, is your giving, is the same measure of your giving what you, what you expect to get from God? Do we give in the sense that we're like, God, pressed down, shaking together, running over. That's my giving. I'm giving like you're giving to me. And this isn't a prosperity doctrine. I'm not saying give 10 bucks and God's going to overflow you with cash. That's not what I'm saying. It's coming out of a heart that knows the measure that God has blessed you. Therefore, I give. That I am recognizing that, that, that I am so blessed eternally. That I am seeking God's eternal reward, that I have God's eternal reward for uh, as a child of God. And therefore, I'm going to give out of my abundance. I'm going to give out of my abundance because God is so generous. And so God, so Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Press it down, shaken together, running over into your lap like you just can't contain it. So good. Give because you love God. Give because you love others and you want to see them blessed. You want to see people experience the generosity of our King Jesus. Give because you want God's reward, which is far better than any reward that you can receive on earth, I promise you. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For what will it benefit if someone gains the whole world yet loses his life? What does it benefit you to gain all all, uh, earthly rewards and lose your soul? Or what what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. Isn't that a great promise? 
that God, Jesus, like what Jesus wants to give me, this should motivate me. Like I want his reward and, and, and this life is going to be, to, to, to be uh, uh, how God determines how he will reward us, what we do in this life. It says it right there in the scripture. The father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Do you long for God's reward? Do you long for God's uh, uh, accolade? Do you long, or, or are we just kind of earthly minded giving because we want and, and we have some ideas of what we want out of our giving? Jesus knows we're going to struggle with this. So he gives us verse three and four to help us out. He says, but when you... When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In, in, in chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel, he talks about his second coming, when he's going to come back and, do, and, and reward his people. He says, he says that he's going to gather everyone and, and he's going to separate the, the, the wheat from the, the chaff, the, the, the sheep from the goats, and those on his right are going to be his sheep. And then he describes his sheep as, as people who did some things. He said, you fed the hungry. You visited strangers. You, you clothed the naked, or, or you welcomed strangers. You clothed the naked. You visited the sick and the imprisoned. Do you remember their reaction when Jesus was talking about this? Listen to what it says. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? <laughs> the people that Jesus is talking about here, the, the people that on Jesus' right, the sheep, the, those who he's welcoming and rewarding in his kingdom, didn't even know what their hands were up to. They're like, when, when did we do that? When did we do this? When did we do that? When did we clothe you? When did we see you hungry? When did we visit you when you were sick and in prison? You see, their generosity and service came so much a part, a part of who they were. There was this sense of self-forgetfulness. And in this section of scripture, this is what God is talking about. Taking that light off of ourselves and putting it upon others. Putting it upon Christ and putting it, there's this self-forgetfulness. The right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. Anybody like baseball? It's kind of sad that it's over. But, but a baseball player will tell you much training has to go in to hit a, 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 a 95 mile an hour fastball, doesn't it? And they do it all the time, but they never think about their hands. They never, they're not, they're, well, some baseball players, they're like... And then they just go and swing, right? Because they've trained themselves, right? But what they do, they're not thinking about their hands. They don't know what the right hand and the left hand is doing. They just automatically do it. It becomes second nature. The same thing for a musician who's very well trained. They, they don't have to, they just play the notes. And they know what's coming, their hands know what's coming next without even, without, because they've practiced, they've, they've practiced in this generosity, they practice in their trade and they just play and they play beautiful songs. The same is true for people of faith. It should be our second nature because of Christ and because of the generosity of God that, that we are just people that don't know what the right hand and the left hand is doing. It's just automatic. It, generosity is, is automatic in our life. Generosity and giving becomes something who we, it, it's, it's part of our DNA. 
We're not calling you guys to give to the needy. Uh, We're not calling you to give faithfully because, I mean, just think about this. We're constantly uh, up against this in this church. And I think it's one way, it's it's for God to keep us leaders humble and and dependent upon God. But listen, we want to to call you to like have a DNA of generosity, not just to get us through the year, but because God has called us to be a generous people like King Jesus. That there will be no poor among us. And then we're not doing it for personal accolades. We're doing this for the glory of God and the good for our community. Amen? Amen. And so we need to structure in our budgets generosity. We have the responsibility in light of all the gospel, in light of the goodness that God has poured out in us to be a generous people. We have the capacity here. Seriously, I don't know what you make, but I'm pretty certain that we have the capacity here to be game changers, world changers financially. But we have structured our lifestyle that has, so much, that has been so much about us and our needs that it's hard for us to be generous. It's hard for us to even squeak a penny out extra because we're so tight with our budget. We're just so tight with it because, because it's become about us. And as much as we, it, it doesn't seem as much like uh, we're like sounding a horn when I give, check it out, you know. But the same is true. We give because we want a reward. We give to the things that we love. We give to the cable company and Jesus gets the, 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 what's left. We give to put a fill in the blank. And then the things that matter us, if you want to know what matters in your life, if you want to know like where your heart is, where your treasure is, Jesus says, I'm getting way out of here. Sorry, guys. Julio's up there running. Jesus says this, do not lay up your treasures in heaven, or sorry, do not lay up your treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up, your tr- lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor where thieves do not break in and steal. For, listen to this, it's key verse, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so you want to do an inventory on where your heart is? Look at your bank account. Look at where you're spending your most, most of your money. God has generously given us everything that we need. He's given us forgiveness, his righteousness, and eternal life through the work of Jesus. And every Christian is promised an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for you. Write this down in your notes. Jesus wants our giving to be so natural that it shows the world our trust in his promise to provide in this life and reward us in the next. I love people who who say here... uh, God gave me this and now I'm giving it to you. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. Don't, don't. I'm like, no, you can't give me that. Oh no, you have to take this. This is God's money and you have to take this. And I'm just, I'm just thankful that God has provided it for me to give it to you. And, And I long for his praise, not anybody else's. Let's keep this anonymous. I'm taken back by the generosity from the phone call that I got this week that says, I saw the deficit in the bulletin and I want to pledge $6,000 and challenge the family to give to that, and, and, and that $6,000, but I don't want to be named. <laughs> I love that. All glory to God, they say. All glory to God. I just want to give all glory to God. God has blessed me and out of an abundance of my blessing that I have, I'm going to be able to do this. I want to challenge the family to be selfless givers so that there will be no poor among us. Praise God. Amen.
Jesus wants our giving to be so natural that it shows the world our trust in his promise to provide in this life and reward us in the next. Giving is a matter of faith. It is a matter of the heart. Each and every, we have this uh, in your seat back pocket. Everybody's seen it, right? Grab this. Anybody got one in their seat back pocket? Grab this and show it to me. This is not because we're desperate for money and constantly asking you for money. This is uh, asking you to, to put your heart and your faith before the Lord. And if you are, uh, have, uh, have not given to the church and you're not a giver, then this is a challenge for you, a giving invitation for you to put your heart and your faith before the Lord and start giving. If you are a person who's, who, who ha- are, is giving but not regularly giving or giving a tithe, then this is an opportunity for you to do that. If you are giving a tithe and, and you've been faithful to doing that, thank you so much. What does it look like for you to be an extravagant giver? And, and, and take a next step of faith, trusting in God to provide for you. And, and so we want you to take this home with you. Uh, 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 John and Joanne Bruins, who resets our room every week, should probably have a stack of these because they're all going to be gone. And, and so take this with you and, and, and really take, not, take, take what you've heard today from God and ask, what am I going to do about it now? The Kairos moment we're putting in front of you. Jesus now turns his attention from giving to prayer. Look at verse 5. You're like, thank God, I'm out of that one now. Hang on a minute. (laughs) And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Again, they're doing this for a reward, aren't they? But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. We want God's reward. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask. It's interesting that in this text that Jesus is assuming that his people pray, that they pray, that they have a prayer life. And and so he's not saying, well, if you pray, he says, when you pray, don't, right? But I'm not sure if we can make the same assumption today. And and, and I think that the reason why is is really the point, the overarching point that Jesus is trying to make. Because I think that in my experience, I've noticed that uh, most Christians pray only in great times of need and, and, and or wanting God's blessing in their life. And that's pretty much it. Uh, those aren't bad things to pray for. But if it's, if it, if it's the uh, uh, whole of your prayer life, then you can understand why that's a problem. That if, all, if, if my prayers are just this wish list that I'm sending up to God, uh, we need to correct ourselves. That prayer is profoundly more than handing God our wish list. You see, wish list prayers puts you at the center and in a real way reduces God down to your delivery boy. Like free delivery on Amazon. We love free delivery, right? We love getting gifts. We, we, and so when, when, we have a, when, it's, when, our life, when our prayer life is just wish list prayers, it reduces God down to that. Wishless prayers essentially say, I know what's best for my life, and God, it would be very nice of you if you would provide. Now, we are, we're not that arrogant, right? We do it very more piously. Lord, if it's your will, gimme, give gimme, give gimme! Give <laughs> 
please, please, please. And, then, and here's the problem with that. When, when our prayer life is only wish list prayers, we will judge God's goodness and love for us based on the fact if he provides or not. And we're like, God, uh, uh, you love me, right? Well, here's my list. And then if he, if he doesn't give it to you, then you're like, well, well, you just don't love me. You, you just don't love me. And then what we do is we end up stop praying. We stop praying. We stop seeking God. When we pray uh, wishless prayers, we, we're forgetting or we don't see that God is our creator and our savior who is infinitely more uh, knowledgeable about what you really need in this life. And, and yet we're not coming to prayer humbly like that all the time, are we? This prayer becomes more about, when prayer becomes about more about our wants and our needs and our feelings, it's just, it, our prayer life becomes about us. So Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites whose goal was to get selfishly get, get praise from other people. Then Jesus says, truly, truly, this is your reward. Like if you really just want praises from people and pats on the backs and look at how pious he is and look at how, how well he and elegant they pray, then that's your reward. If all you want is, 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 is your wish list to be answered from God and, and your physical needs to be handled right now, if that's all you want from God, then, then that's your reward. And we go back to Jesus who says, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Lose the connection between you and God who is infinitely more wise and more good and has a way better plan than you could even pray up and imagine. And yet we settle for crumbs on earth. R.A. Torrey says this, we should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or in private, until we are, de we are definitely conscious that we have come into the presence of God and actually are praying to him. Amen. Powerful statement. Powerful statement. This is what precisely Jesus is getting to in verse six when he says, go and pray in your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your, your father who is in secret will reward you. I come in here every Saturday morning before I preach and I sit before the God and, and I can't tell you how profound those moments are because what I end up finding out is that I have nothing to bring you guys. <laughs> I just don't. If God doesn't fill me with his spirit, if God does not illuminate his word, if God does not fill it into your heart, if God does not move in and push his way into your heart and mind and soul, then I've done nothing. I'm not entertaining enough. I'm not winsome enough. I'm not convincing enough for you to, be, to, to tenderize your heart. Only God can tenderize your heart. Only God can change your heart and make you a person who is generous. It's my life verse, and people are, are funny about, what, what's your life verse, <laughs> chapter, um, Pastor Michael? I'm like, well, it comes out of Ephesians. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work hard with his hands and give generously to everyone who's in need. Because I was the thief, and the gospel has transformed my life. And I'm so grateful for that, that I want to work hard with my hands so that everybody, so that I can be generous. It's a life verse that changes things, like the gospel changes things. And so when I'm praying to God, I, do we come out, do, when we pray to God, are we praying like this? Write this down in your sermon notes. The secret to sincere prayer is making sure 
that the only eyes open to us during times of prayer are those of God. Are those of God. Jesus wants us to be acutely aware of our human tendency to pray in order to gain praise from others. Pray to only gain uh, our wish list. And the remedy to, 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 to this type of prayer is to pray in private so that we won't be tempted to pray to impress others or, or even pretend like, like God is a butler. That we're actually humbling ourselves and, and, and getting alone with God and, and really recognizing who he is in light of who we are. Again, Jesus is asking us to take the spotlight off ourselves and put it back on God. So that's how we shouldn't pray. How should we pray? It's interesting that we, we take these chunks of scripture out and we kind of exposit on, on this. But this is one sermon from Jesus. This is one sermon from Jesus, one explanation from Jesus. And this is when he gets into the Lord's Prayer. It's so cool if you, if you see it as one conversation. Because we pick it apart and we just throw it apart. And, 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 but see, Jesus is trying to capitalize on what he just said. Listen, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't, don't give like them. Don't pray like them. Here's how I want you to pray. Pray like this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, for, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> do you see what he's trying to capitalize on now he's saying look look you need to understand that your father is is the god of the universe like this is your dad this is your dad and i want you to understand that that there was a huge chasm between you and your father and what jesus is saying here is that oh gosh it gives us even a four picture of the cross because jesus was the one who who was suspended in between heaven and earth so that we can be reconciled back to the father like jesus you know that jesus like the, the gospel says that god gave his only begotten son that means he had no sons before that no sons, no daughters. Because of Jesus, he's got a whole family now. Jesus exchanges his life and his inheritance that was all his. And now he's sharing it with the family of God. Oh, it's such an amazing truth. So the fact that Jesus says, our father who art in heaven. The fact that we can even say our father talks about the length that Jesus went to to make that happen. He had to humble himself and come into the flesh, uh, born of a virgin Mary, live a, a, a life free of sin, in total obedience to the Father. He'd done everything perfectly. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin, the Bible says. And then he stood before a, a crooked judge who condemned him to die, and he did it anyway so that we can live. This is what he went through. This is the good news of the gospel, that the wages of our sin was death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He gave us all to us so that God can be our father. And he goes, when you pray, you should pray like this. God's your father. And you should be humbled and, tender, and your heart should be tenderized by the fact of everything that Jesus had to do to make that happen. It was our sin that separated us from the love of God. Isaiah 59 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, 
nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated us from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. The fact that we can call God our Father points to the great, great gift of our Lord Jesus. Write this down in your sermon notes. Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth on a cross so that you can be forgiven, adopted into the family, and have God as your, uh, uh, the God of all creation as your Father. God demonstrates his love for us by sending us Christ Jesus to die for us that we may be reconciled back to the Father. The Apostle Paul writes this too. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who are baptized into Christ. So you no longer a slave. So you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And Jesus comes and he inaugurates his kingdom and he says, hey, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We started with those words. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe that that this is what God was doing. He was ushering in his kingdom work. He is reconciling people back to himself and he's building his kingdom. And it's going to be led by King Jesus. And we should be tenderized by that. Repent and believe. Follow me, Jesus would say. So coming with that understanding, we go to verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think of all of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, this is the hardest one for most of us to pray. And it's hard for us because we're constantly trying to build our little kingdoms. The main point I believe Jesus is getting to in this text. That this becomes all about us. That it becomes all about being seen and, and, and by others. It becomes all about getting the praise of others. It becomes all about putting our wish lists up so that our lives can be blessed and comfortable and happy. And Jesus says, no, God is your father. He, he had to go to great lengths by sending me here to inaugurate his kingdom, to die on a cross, to reconcile you back to him. Now his will be done, not yours. Not yours. Your will got you into this jam in the first place. You not wanting to, Adam and Eve not wanting to do what God has called them to do, got them into this place in the first place. And this is the same thing that we suffer against too. That we doubt God's goodness and God's provision for us. We doubt that his plan is is the best way. And so we go our own way trying to build our own little kingdom because we think we got it figured out. He's like, no, pray that God is your father who is in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Honor his name. Honor his way. Honor his plans. And then, build, and then desire his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. God is not here to sign off on your wish list so that you can build your kingdom. It's, it, it, you're, you're here to surrender to the greater and wiser plans of our King Jesus. The greater and wiser purpose of our King Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus takes us from learning these major truths of trying to take the spotlight off ourselves and put it back on Jesus. And then, he, and then he comes in and he says, now, once you have this, I also want you to repent of the pride of thinking that you provide everything. So I need you to also pray for daily bread, that you will uh, forgive others just as uh, you have been forgiven, and then pray for protection of evil. So he's saying no more pride, like you don't bring it, 
I bring it. You need to humble yourself and understand that God is the one that gives you the breast in your lungs, the, the wisdom that, that you have to work, uh, the ability to do all these things. And, and you need to humble yourself that God is the provider of our daily bread. And you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn from your sin and forgive those. Your life is all about that now. Relying on him for provision. And, and your life is about, uh, in light of the gospel, how you relate to one another by forgiving one another, just as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And then you better be on your knees because the attack is real, people. And the, the attack is real and the enemy is real and he's ever present. And he's just wanting you to believe that all of this isn't true. And that it is about your kingdom being built here. And that God's love and God's goodness and God's provision for you is not real. That because you don't have everything on your wish list, uh, God doesn't love you and that God's hand isn't upon you. Man, what more does he have to do to prove his love for you? By, uh, <laughs> more than sending Christ Jesus to die for you? And then he goes, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for daily bread. <laughs> and I'm going to provide. It, 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 I, I understand you have tangible needs and I'm going to give you everything you need. So pray and, and, and be dependent upon me. Live your life forgiving one another as I have forgiven you and, and pray for protection from me. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, our daily forgiveness, and our daily protection from evil. It's a confession that says that I don't have all these areas in my life in order, and I need uh, uh, God to give me these things. The Lord's Prayer can become this, like this, a, a, a wonderful tool of God's grace in your life, a transforming tool of God's grace in your life, if you let it. Paul Tripp says this, we're big fans of Paul Tripp around here. He says this, as you put God in his proper place and you celebrate your place as his child, the Lord's prayer becomes a tool that God uses to free you from the bondage of you. Isn't that good? That the Lord's prayer becomes a tool that God uses to free you from the bondage of you. This is your Kairos moment. You've heard what Jesus has said to you. Now what are you going to do about it? None of us have the strength and character to live this way, so we must call upon Jesus to give us everything we need today. And I pray that you will take this moment and that you will use it to live a life transformed by the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close out our time, uh, as we do every week, we're going to close out in a time of uh, response. And uh, what I want to uh, do is have you... Um, uh, enter into this time in a spirit of just thankfulness. As Mike was talking about in this passage, he was talking about uh, giving, and we have so much. If you just sit and think.